We welcome again to our pulpit this morning, uh, Randy Neighbors. Randy is coordinator of Urban and Mercy Ministries for the PCA and pastor, founder and pastor emeritus of New City Fellowship. And I'm sure many of you know him. So, Randy, we welcome you again to bring us the word. God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. Amen. You'll be hearing more about that in a moment. Good morning, everyone. And praise the Lord. I, I hope you all had a wonderful uh, resurrection celebration and uh, have given glory to God for raising His Son, the Lord Jesus, from the dead. And because of that, we are no longer in our sins. Hallelujah. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I really do welcome people responding to me when I preach. So if I say something that's true or something that glorifies God, feel free to say out loud amen or praise the Lord or anything like that, as long as it's appropriate and at the right moment. Okay? Um, you know, those of us who grew up in a white church, uh, we have learned pretty much all our lives, our parents were telling us to sit down and shut up and uh, pay attention and don't disturb the service. If you grew up in an ethnic church, especially an African-American uh, thing, you learn a cultural difference, and that is that uh, preaching is something that's a two-way street and that you engage with the preacher. And, uh, you know, if you're not used to that, it can be disturbing and it's just like when black folks might come and worship among you, they find you disturbing. And uh, you don't know that. You think, why would they be disturbed? It's like, what happened to these people? You know. But I'm glad to be here today. And I thank you so much for inviting me. Um, and may God uh, lead you as you form a, a, a search committee for your new pastor. May God give you wisdom and give you a great and godly man. Uh, so be praying for that. Uh, those things don't happen by accident. They happen by prayer and fasting and uh, a real uh, due diligence as you make your search. And God has them. He's there. He's already alive. You don't have to wait for him to be born and grow up. You're waiting a long time. Uh, so God has your man somewhere. And just be praying that the, the Holy Spirit would be putting those circumstances into his life and opening up his heart for a call to shepherd you. And, uh, and I just pray that that would be both a, a wonderful experience, both for him and for you. Um, I, I am so grateful that God in his mercy allowed me to be a pastor. And uh, some of you know, I pastored New City for uh, 36 years. And it's one of the great joys of, of my life to have been called to preach the gospel and to preach the word, and to preach it to the same people week after week, and see the Holy Spirit take his word and shape people's lives. That is an amazing privilege. And uh, so pray that God would bring somebody excited to do that uh, among you. Amen? Amen? All right. Now, today we're going to go back uh, to Acts chapter 2, uh, the second chapter of Acts. And uh, last time I, I 
even used the illustration of the Lone Ranger. Uh, you know, who was that masked man? And the question was, who is Jesus? Who is this man? And so we went through some of the things uh, that Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin reading at verse 25 uh, today. So hear the word of the Lord as I read it. Chapter 2, verse 25. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see decay. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not descend, ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Amen. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for another Sunday morning. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to gather in Jesus' name. Thank you that you have brought all of us together in this place for this moment to worship you, to acknowledge that we need you, to confess that we are sinners, and to receive once again the assurance that you love us. 
Oh, Lord Jesus, please wash us clean in your precious blood. Please send the Holy Spirit to assure us that we are your children. And give yourself glory. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd anoint me to preach. And I pray, Lord, that your word would accomplish that to which you send it. I do pray for this congregation. I pray uh, that you would protect them from Satan and his evil work. I pray that you would prepare the man of God you want to bring uh, to preach from this pulpit. I pray that you would give them wisdom even as they choose uh, the search committee. I pray for the elders and the deacons and the leadership, the godly women of this church, that, Lord, you would help them to be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And Holy Spirit, we just ask for these mercies from your good hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today I want to talk to you about a powerful Christology. I didn't hear any amens to that. Okay. Everybody say this phrase, a powerful Christology. That's right. Now, Christology, that's a big word. And, you know, it's a word you get when you go to seminary. And that's why you pay all the money to study so you can come back with big words like that. And, but it's an important word because here's the question. Who is Jesus? That, that, upon the answer to that question rests your eternal destiny. Upon the answer to that question is the whole foundation of what we call the church of Jesus Christ. Who is he? And that is what Peter is answering. Uh, you know, remember what happened here. This is the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And Pentecost, it, it, you know, it, it's about 50 days after Passover. And it, it's the, it's a, it was a great Jewish feast. There was Passover and then there was Pentecost. And, and in between these two things, something fantastic happens. We all know, hopefully you all know, what you celebrated last week was the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, crucified on Friday, three days later, and, and for the Jews, a day is any portion of a 24-hour period. So if you're thinking, it's not fully three days, don't be thinking like an American, okay? Think, think Jewish, all right? So three days, he's in the grave, he rises from the dead, and he appears to his disciples, and he eats with them, and they touch him. And he's with them about 40 days, and hundreds of people see him, according to 1 Corinthians 15. And then he ascends into heaven. But right before he ascends to heaven, he tells his disciples, remain in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come on you. And after that, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And so they're doing that. They're waiting, and they're in the upper room, and they're praying. And Acts chapter 2 says, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and it was like tongues of fire appeared behind them, and they began to speak in uh, languages they had never learned. Oh, man, I prayed for that in high school. when I took Spanish, <laughs> and then I prayed 
prayed in college when I took Greek and in seminary when I took Hebrew. And, and unfortunately, I don't have the gift of tongues. But all of a sudden, a miracle happened. And these guys are speaking in tongues they've never learned before. Languages, but they are, they're, it's not gibberish. They are speaking languages and they are giving glory to God. They're talking about the great works of God. Now, please understand this. In Jerusalem at that moment, thousands of people had come because of the holiday, the festival of Pentecost, and they were people from all over the world. Many of them had been born Jews. Some of them were converted into Judaism. So some of them were Africans, and some of them were Asians, and some of them were Europeans, and they hadn't been born Jewish, but they had become God-fearers and then were circumcised and began to worship as Jews. They're all there, and they grew up speaking these very languages that these people are now speaking in. So they go, what in the world's going on? And that's why Peter stands up to say, this is what the Bible talked about. All right? So he is there, that's, that's the scene, and he is basically answering this question. Who is Jesus? First he has to answer the question, what's happening? And he says, you've got to remember the book of Joel. This is a prophecy from the book of Joel. He says, uh, you're, 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 he's going to come upon you and you're going to have dreams and you're going to have visions, both your young men and, 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 and even women, men and women, and your old people. This, is, this Holy Spirit is going to affect everybody. And so he's explaining, this is what's happening. But as we get a little further into it, you realize he's beginning to hone in on who Jesus is. First, he, he tells them, you, you know who he, he was when you saw him. He, he was a man accredited to you by the miracles he did. He did miracles, and we all saw it. And then you nailed him to a tree, and you buried him, but it was impossible for death to hold him. I love that. It was impossible for death to hold him. Now, we come to what I want to preach about today, and I've got four points for you, all right? And I'm going to read them first, and you can hold me to them, okay? One is prophecy fulfilled and explained. Second, historically attested. Three, theologically and cosmologically interpreted. And four, individually applied. Those are my four points. So it's pretty simple, pretty basic. We just want to find out what is the scripture teaching today. So that's what we'll go back to right where I started reading there in, in verse 25. Notice Peter begins to quote the book of Psalms. And he calls David, now we all know King, king David as king, right? We know the story of who he was. But here Peter refers to him as a prophet. Because when the Holy Spirit used David to write some of the Psalms, some of what he was saying was prophecy. This was uh, what God was saying was going to happen in the future. Now, please understand this about prophecy. It's not just uh, somebody looking into a crystal ball or looking at a Ouija board or tea leaves or what, you know, whatever anybody might use to think, to try to trick people into thinking they can tell the future 
or looking up at the stars and astrology. Prophecy is not only telling us the future, it is the determination that that's what the future will be. Did you, did you get that? In other words, when God says this is what's going to happen, it's going to happen. Now, you, and you're, you, know, you can tell each other, you know, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. That's not prophecy. For a lot of us, that's just a threat. Okay? You do this, and we say that to our kids. Okay, do that one more time. <laughs> I've used that phrase many times in my life. See what happens. <laughs> yeah. So the, when, when God speaks through a person in a prophetic word, it's not just a prediction. It is actually the force of God's will. God is saying, I'm going to do this. And so Peter says, we are up here today telling you about Jesus of Nazareth. We're telling you that the speaking in tongue stuff, it's come from him because he asked God the Father to send the Holy Spirit and now the prophet Joel's prophecy is being fulfilled. But understand what you did to Jesus and putting him in that tomb was something that had been promised even by King David. And he goes to Psalm 16. The, the two Psalms he's going to refer to are Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. And, and if you look at this, this, this is really kind of brilliant because he's, he's, he's getting the people to say, if you look at Psalm 16, you're looking at who is David talking about? Who, who, who is David referring? Is he talking about himself? That, that's a good question. And Peter, and, and Peter says, no, David's not talking about himself because we know where the body of David is. Did you catch it? He says, I saw the Lord. He's at my right hand that I might be shaken. My heart was glad. My tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades. And here it comes. Or let your Holy One see corruption or decay. That implies that God's Holy One is not going to be eaten by worms. He's not going to be uh, dust to dust and ashes to ashes. He's, he's not going to be like you and me when they put us in the grave. That there's something special about God's Holy One. He will not see decay. He's not talking about, oh, he's going to be an Egyptian mummy. He's not, he's not talking about that. Because if you've seen Egyptian mummies, they decay. They got wrapped up for a long time, but they still decay. But not God's holy one. And, that, and this is in verse 29. He points it out to him. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. When uh, Joan and I were on our way to Africa as missionaries well, many years ago, uh, a new city gave us a two-year leave of absence to go to Kenya and I pastored in Kenya and in God's mercy, he allowed us to spend a week in Israel before we got to Kenya. And uh, we didn't go on one of these tours. We, you know, we were just like there and asking people, what should we do next? And getting lost and taking Jewish buses and Arab buses. And it was a great time for us. Uh, it's interesting when you run out of money in Israel. You know, 
That happened too. Um, but on one of the things, somebody said, would you like to see King David's tomb? And so we went to this room, and here was this, this sarcophagus, and it was painted blue. And they said, this is where King David is buried. This is his grave. And, and you know, as somebody who loved the Bible and loved Jesus, and, and I love the stories of David, I mean, to, to stand there and think, whoa. You know, I, and we're, we all kind of have, I mean, we, we're Christians, we believe it. When you get to Jerusalem or Israel sometimes, and you're actually standing in that place, and, you know, something in the back of your head say, I told you it was true. <laughs> you know, it really happened. Well, Peter, he's talking about that same grave that I've seen. He said, we know where David's at. He died, was buried, and we got his, we got his tomb. So when David talks in Psalm 16 about his Holy One not seeing decay, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about the one who is to come. And it, it, it's really cool when somebody can help you see that in the Bible. This is that. This is promising that, and God's word made it happen. That's why death could not hold him. Because God had already said he wasn't going to allow his Holy One to suffer decay. And that's what happens to a dead body. And that's why they wrapped Jesus up and they put spices on him because they knew he was going to decay. He was dead. But when they came to the tomb, his grave clothes were wrapped up and he wasn't there. Hallelujah. He says in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, who's he talking about? It's not David. He's saying, the Father said to the Son, sit here at my right hand until all your enemies are placed beneath your feet. This is that, and it's going to happen because I said so. Prophecy fulfilled and explained. Hallelujah. Let me go to the second point. Historically attested. Uh, Peter, you know, again, when he said before that we all saw Jesus of Nazareth, uh, who was accredited by God to you because of the miracles that he did. Now here's something else. Something else we saw. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Brothers and sisters, we worship the Lord Jesus not just because it's a metaphor uh, of hope. The story of the resurrection is not uh, just so you and I would say, you know what, I think I could change my life and be a better person. Uh, the, the, the message of, of resurrection is not the story of the caterpillar where the, where, you know, where the worm you know, gets wrapped up and a metamorphosis takes place and it comes out with wings and now I can fly. You know? And people will take that and say, well, that, that's what the gospel story is about. That's what Easter's about. It's just so you, you get encouragement and you can turn over a new leaf. That ain't it. Dead man came back because death could not hold him. 
Because that man just wasn't just a man. He was both Lord and Christ. God's Holy One. So that's my second point, essentially. This is historically attested. This, on this rests our hope, brothers and sisters. You know, the Bible was written by men who were there. They saw it happen. Uh, they talk, even 1 John talks about it. Peter's here talking about it. We saw him. We touched him. We heard him. We are witnesses of these things. And you go, well, you know, maybe they just, as a, it was a group, they made up this fairy tale. No. You know, these men, they were put to death because of this. They, they held to this confession. They said, I saw it happen. I know it happened. I was there. And I'm willing to die to attest to the validity of it. My third point. Theologically and cosmologically, Interpret it. Now that is worth an amen if I've ever heard a phrase. Uh, and here, look at verse 36. This is what I'm talking about. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when I say theologically and cosmologically interpreted, Peter is not just telling the story of, of a fantastic moment. He's saying, you need to understand what's happened here. Who is this Jesus? He is Lord. Now, to the Jewish people, this word is special. I was with... Uh, one of my friends up in New Jersey recently, David Cohen, he's a part of New City Fellowship, Atlantic City. And uh, he was raised uh, in the Jewish faith. And he still often goes to synagogues, very involved with his Jewish family, but he is a believer in Jesus. And he says, you know, Jews, they never use the word Yahweh. You know, you, you have a lot of Protestants, they'll put that in their Bible or something, and, you know, they talk about Jesus, God as Yahweh. You know, the whole Jewish concept of, of the word for God was unpronounceable. It was, it was a word too holy to use. And, and so they substituted the word Lord. You know, uh, even in, in, in their call, when you say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. The word Lord, Adonai, you know, is reserved for Almighty God. He is the Lord of the universe. You don't mess with him. What Peter is saying is, you need to understand this Jesus, you saw do miracles, we saw risen from the dead, that very one, he is Adonai. He is Kurios. He is Lord. And you killed him. Wow. He says to him, he is Lord and Christ. You know, Christ is not Jesus' last name, okay? We call Jesus Christ. We could literally say Jesus the Christ, and it means anointed one. It is the same word uh, that the Jews use as Messiah. We, we are Messiah people. That's what Christians mean. 
We, we are the ones who follow the Messiah, and we are making that declaration to the whole world. This Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, who was crucified, this very one, the one the, the Romans thought and the Jews thought they'd gotten rid of, this one is Lord and God. We are his followers. We worship him. There's only one Christ. There's only one Messiah. It's him. That's a declaration of faith. Peter is saying, when I say theologically and cosmologically interpret it, what I'm saying, when he quotes from Psalm 110 and he says he's going to put all enemies under his feet, there's, a, there's this war in the universe going on, and it's between God and the forces of evil, and God is winning. He wanted the cross, he wanted the empty tomb, and, he, and it will be seen to have won in his second coming. And in our lifetime, in our history, in our personal lives, what Jesus is doing is he is putting all enemies under his feet. And there are times when that seems very doubtful. It, it, it seems like cancer wins. It seems like indiscriminate violence wins. It seems like sometimes racism wins. It seems like sometimes exploitation and oppression wins. And you can ask, where is God? And I'm here today to tell you that even if you don't always see it every day in your life, please believe this. The victory of Christ is inevitable. It is inevitable. He will win. And all that is happening in history is the sovereign God taking every human being and every event and every power and every force and he is taking it and he's putting it under the feet of Christ. This Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And then he gives them this terrible shock, whom you crucified. And so let me get to my last point. And let me tell you, if you are here today and you are not a Christian, then you need to hear this really well because this uh, indictment is against you. It was your sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. That is why I came, because God loved us. But your sin nailed him there. And if you have not become a Messiah follower, if you have not bowed to the feet of Jesus and declared him Lord and Christ in your own life, then you are still guilty of that crucifixion. And you may say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I wasn't there. No, your sin was. That's what it was all about. And if you've ever thought in your imagination, if I had been there, I, I would have defended him. Right. Even his disciples abandoned him. But you probably would have been one of the mockers. Because if you're mocking now, you would have mocked then. If you're the son of God, Come down. So you are still in trouble. <laughs> Logically, consider this argument. If Jesus is Lord in Christ, and if his victory is inevitable, and if God is putting all his enemies under his feet, there's an ultimate judgment coming, which you're going to face this Lord of heaven and earth, and you're going to be there as one of his crucifiers. 
You say, well, what about you? Well, here's the amazing thing about this crucifixion. The moment you confess that you were guilty and you needed your sins nailed to the cross, you're free of the accusation. And you're forgiven. And this Lord is now your Lord, your defender, your protector, your savior. And oh man, when the people heard that, they were ripped. The Bible here says they were cut to the heart. And that, that is such a great place to be. If, if you've lived a sinful life and, and you have resisted God and you finally get to that point where God takes his, his knife of truth and he just stabs you in the heart and cuts it and you go, what do I do? What do I do? What a great question to ask. And Peter tells him, repent and be baptized. Every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins. To repent is to come to a change of mind. It's to come to a different perspective uh, where God changes the way you think and the way you, your whole heart understands this. You, you come to the point where you are at the end of yourself and you say, God, change me. It might be full of sorrow, but whatever happens, the Holy Spirit is breaking you and you turn around and instead of running from God, you run to Him. Instead of being guilty of the cross, your guilt is nailed to the cross. That's what Peter calls him out to do. Own up to it. You crucified him. Own up to it. And you know, you would, you would just think, if we did that to the Lord of heaven and earth, if we did that to the Lord of glory, if we did that to God's only Son, what hope do we have? If our creator, if we betrayed our very creator, what hope do we have? All hope. Because he came to save us. He came to forgive us. He came to deliver us. And the people, they heard. On that very day they heard. 3,000 of them heard. And the Holy Spirit worked grace in their life. And they came to Jesus and they believed that he's Lord in Christ and they were forgiven and they became what we know as the early church. This amazing transformation took place. If you're here and you don't know Christ, ah, oh, along with Peter, let me just say, repent. Repent. Come and be baptized. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. As he says here, even as he quotes from the Old Testament, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Brothers and sisters, please understand who you are in Christ. At one time, you were as guilty as that crowd and today you are forgiven. At one time, you were an enemy of God being placed beneath his feet, and now you are his friend. Now, he rules over you, not with a hammer, but with hands of love. That's, what, that's who Jesus is. He is Lord.
Christ. Holy Father, thank you for the victory we have in Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have been poured out. And I pray, Father, for anyone here who is not yet saved, that you, Holy Spirit, would come upon them and bring them to faith, even right now, and save them from their sins. And give us, Lord, the confidence that these words are true. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.